and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. If you work with children with developmental language delay, this is an episode you do not want to miss. We are going to dive into the latest and greatest research on developmental language delay and what matters when it comes to assessing developmental language delay. So first of all, let's go a little bit into what we talked about last week and what doesn't matter when it comes to three-year-olds. We talked about how grammatical accuracy does not matter when it comes to three-year-olds. And it does not matter because of three reasons. One, there's a lot of variability in three-year-olds when it comes to grammatical morphemes. Two, we don't have enough normative data to know what is typical and what is atypical. And three, we don't have reliable standardized tests to assess whether or not a three-year-old has language impairment based on the grammatical morphemes. So what is a reliable measurement for three-year-olds in finding out whether or not they have a developmental language delay? We're going to talk about that right now, and we're going to talk about school-aged children as well. Before we dive into the assessment, we need a little background. We need to know what is the cardinal feature of developmental language delay that study after study has found to be a hallmark of children with developmental language delay, and that is poor verbal working memory. So what is verbal working memory? There's four components to verbal working memory. The first one is that they're processing sounds and turning them into meaningful units of language. Secondly, are they able to carry and hold and remember those units of language? Third, we need to find out whether they're able to sequence or manipulate those pieces of information. And fourth, are they able to express it? So these four components refer to verbal working memory. And if you have a component breakdown in one of those areas, the child is not going to be able to perform the task. You're going to have a domino effect. So let's look at some examples of working memory tasks. I could, for instance, say a really long sentence and have you say it back to me verbatim. That would be a test of your verbal working memory. I could give you a string of digits, like a really long telephone number, and have you repeat it back verbatim. 
I can have a grocery list and I can have you repeat it back to me in alphabetical order. I could also say nonsense syllables and then I could have you repeat those back to me verbatim. The neat thing about the nonsense syllables repetition task is that it's a dynamic assessment that gives you an equal playing field with anyone else. It doesn't matter what your background experience is and your background knowledge is. I'm purely testing your verbal working memory. So if I said to you, kogatin sanavu, and you're able to say that back, you have a strong verbal working memory. That has nothing to do with your past experiences whatsoever. So this is a very good way to assess verbal working memory if you're working with culturally and linguistically diverse populations. Let's look at how we can assess verbal working memory if it's in the context of a spontaneous language sample. So if one area we see difficulty with would be auditory processing. Look at the responses to questions or comments that you've made. So if you ask the child, what's your name? And the child looked up at you and said, what's your name? And imitated it back to you. The child probably didn't process your question. If you ask the child, what's your name? And the child answered four, the child probably didn't accurately process your question. That's one aspect of verbal working memory. Another thing that you're probably going to see according to the research and there was a really great study that just came out in November 22. And that study of 59 three to six-year-olds found that children with developmental language delay are going to have shorter utterances that are less complex. And that makes sense because that requires less verbal working memory. Longer utterances that are complex with multiple clauses request a more advanced verbal working memory. So you're going to see it reflected in the language sample. This current study of 59 prescores that just came out from the Netherlands found that that was much more accurate in determining whether or not a child had a language impairment or developmental language delay than grammatical accuracy. And it makes sense because this is much more closely related to verbal working memory. So when we're looking at elementary age children, there's a great study that just came out October 2022. There was a systematic study of 37 studies of narrative skills of children with and without the language impairment. And what that found is that children with language impairment have significantly greater difficulty telling narratives. So once again, a narrative is a story. To tell a story requires a high level of verbal working memory. So we keep getting back to that hallmark deficit for children with developmental language delay core verbal working memory. And we talked about how it's going to manifest itself in standardized testing. A good standardized test to give on early literacy skills is the CTOP, C-T-O-P-P with two P's, two. It's a standardized test that's for ages four and up. 
There was multiple subtests on that for verbal working memory that you can give to see if there's an issue in that area. And as I mentioned before, also in the language sample, you're going to see shorter, less complex utterances for children who have developmental language delay. You're also going to see that children at school age might have some longer utterances, but putting a narrative together with the elements of the story, with the beginning and a middle and an end, is going to be more difficult for a child with poor verbal working memory. Hence, this is the child that has the developmental language delay. So this is what does matter, is paying attention to verbal working memory. Those language samples, you're going to see a lack of contingency in the child's comments related to their communication partner. They're not going to be related to the communication partner's client comments. They're not going to be related to the communication partner's questions at the preschool age, particularly. And when language gets more advanced and it comes to telling a story in which you're sequencing multiple sentences together in a well-organized manner, you're going to see the children with developmental language delay break down. That's where you're going to see the breakdowns. So what does this all have to do with intervention? We're going to talk about that next week. That's when things get fun because I'm going to give you a hint. What we're finding in the latest research is just like in speech sound disorders, the higher you aim, the higher the gains when it comes to the treatment target. In speech sound disorders, I encourage you to go for the highest clusters, the three-element SKR cluster if possible. Aiming for three-element clusters as a starting point with multimodal cueing. And what happens? You're going to get the highest gains. If you aim low, the gains are going to be low. They're finding the same in the language research. In the language research, if you aim high, and think about narratives. You can't really get higher than narratives when it comes to verbal working memory. You're going to get higher gains. So I write about this in my book. People email me and they're like, your book is speech sound disorders. You're showing video clips out of your book that have language intervention. Of course I am. And that's because it's all related. Speech, language, literacy, executive function, socialization, it's all related. And that's why if you're treating speech sound disorders, you're not treating a mouth, you're treating a whole child. And when you take that type of approach, you will change lives. So in my book, I show you exactly an effective manner that is going to get you great gains in language. And yes, I do cover language in my book. I'm not treating a mouse, I'm treating a child. And it's estimated that 40 to 50% of children with speech sound disorders also have a concurrent condition of a language impairment. So if I were to have a speech sound disorders book that doesn't cover language, that would be a huge disservice to the reader. So if you haven't got this book yet, I encourage you to get the book. You're going to love it. 
It has over 120 video clips of actual therapy that really demonstrates best practice. And you can take those kind of clips and you can make them better. I want you to take all of this information and roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place. One child at a time in your first.